So I invite you to do something with me this morning. I want to invite you to, to think about standing in front of a minefield. And you know, uh, you've come to this minefield and you know that it's perilous territory because you've come across this, this red and white sign with this classic skull and bones and a symbol of death. And as you look at this sign, you read the words, danger, minefield, a quarter mile ahead. Let me ask you something. If that were you, and you were standing right before that sign overlooking this field of empty explosives hidden below the surface, not knowing which one would go off, how might that change your next step? The nation of Croatia is no stranger to these kinds of places. They say there's nearly 100,000 landmines scattered throughout the country from numerous wars. And still to this day, there's 466 square miles of land covered in mines. Can you imagine? To date, over 2,500 lives have been taken since the war ceased. The government's been working on this project they call Tiramisu to try to help solve this, this threat. And the, the plan is somewhat ingenious. Um, they've trained honeybees to detect the scent of explosives by mixing their food with TNT. These bees now by nature, uh, they become these bomb-sniffing insects mid-flight. The government can go out in these fields and they can find where the mines are based on these gathering of honeybees scattered throughout the fields. See, and the point that I want to make is this. When you know that you're walking into a territory of unseen peril, you significantly change the way by which you navigate your field, do you not? So Jesus comes to the last petition of this prayer, as I said, and he says, pray like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What I want to show you this morning is that those words... And through those words, we find this unique confession that this life is a spiritual minefield. That in any given day, at any given moment, we face this unique confession, we face this unique problem, this unique temptation of danger and evil and sin buried in our path. This is the kind of prayer that you, you pray before you get out of bed, before the sun comes up, before your foot hits the ground. You know, last week, Brian helped us to understand forgiveness, right? How in God's mercy, we come to those places where we've stepped on it. We can look behind and see how we fell into sin and how there was a great explosion. And yet we know that by God's grace, we can find his pardon. And yet you and I know full well as a follower of Christ if we're gonna be sanctified, if we're gonna grow in our faith with him, if we're gonna be a witness for the gospel, that's not enough. It can't just be about cleanup. See, we also need a preventative game plan. I love how one of the church fathers put this years ago. He, he asked this rhetorical question, it's so spot on, look at this. He says this, he says, has anyone ever thought man to be so beyond temptations of which he was aware of from the day he attained a reason. In other words, it's common knowledge, right? Temptation is life. We, we know this. It's ingrained in us. For those of us in Christ, you, you can even amplify that statement even the more so because we have this enemy who is lurking, whose desire is to see God's people fall. His plan is to watch us fail. His scheme is to move towards our destruction. 
And yet we often go about our days completely unaware and oblivious to this spiritual realm that exists around us. The warning sign is right ahead of you. The words are plain as day, skull and crossbones staring at us. And yet we walk into the field as though we can do this on our own. So we step casually, one step at a time, even though you and I have no business trying to figure this out without the Almighty. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I lay my head, I must admit my day is fraught with this universal problem of sin and evil and brokenness. Think about it. How many times do you step into a difficult day a hard conversation, a, a challenging situation. And you thought full well by your own power and in your own strength, you would make it through that trial on the other side unscathed. And yet if we're honest, we know we all fall all the time. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Kevin DeYoung, you've heard Brian and I mention him numerous times. He has a fantastic book on the Lord's Prayer. I invite you to pick it up. And he says there's really three types of what I would call minds or sins every day that we tend to step on. You can put them into three categories. And he names these categories with three Ps. He says we should look out for the sins of pleasure, pride, and power. Pleasure, pride, and power. And every day those perils, those three temptations, if we're not careful, they lie and wait ahead of us in our path. The pleasures of the bedroom, the power of the boardroom, and the pride of the bathroom mirror. There is not a person in this room or listening online who hasn't experienced at least one of those categories of temptation that eventually lead us to sin. See, but here's the hard part. Here's where this prayer gets really confusing. The words that Jesus just gave us are asking this really peculiar thing. Because they're asking for God not to lead us into that minefield. He says, Father, lead us not into temptation. Which then I think begs the hard question. And that is, if God is good, and God is righteous, and God is for us, why would he lead us into temptation? Or would he lead us into temptation? And I should say right off the bat, if you've ever asked that, it's probably a bit of a misplaced question because God's word is stark clear and we cannot miss this. Please don't miss this. Hear this. When we talk of temptation, we need to know God is not the author of sin, nor does he ever lead us to sin. That's so important, I'm gonna say it twice. God is not the author of sin, nor does he ever lead us to sin. If God is by his nature holy, then his plans and purposes are holy. Look at this in James 1. It says it very clearly. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted from evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Who does the enticing? Who does the luring? James says we do by our own desires, and it's evil that tempts us. So when we pray then, Lord, lead us not into temptation, here's what we mean. If you look at the whole of scripture, you find there are seasons where by God's providential plan that we can't see, he leads us into a territory of testing and trial for the purposes of his glory. 
He's not leading us to sin. He's not leading us to the, the trap of evil. But rather, when we say lead us not into temptation, what we're referencing are seasons of this life that you and I know we all go through of trial and hardship and testing. Some of us are walking through that season right now. You remember that prominent moment in Matthew's gospel where God's word tells us it was the spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. Look at this in Matthew 4. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness and there he was tested by the devil. Let's just leave that up on the screens for a minute. Look at this. It's clear the devil tempts, the Lord tests. We're not praying, Father, don't tempt me because we know God would never tempt us into evil. He cannot by his very nature do that. No, instead what we're praying is, God, deliver us from evil, from sin, from falling. In our confusion, I think it's really in logistics, so forgive me, I'm gonna get nerdy. In the Greek, the same word for temptation is often used for trial. In James 1, 2, look at this, we read this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So while temptation can certainly mean that which immediately leads us into sin, it can also mean a season of suffering and trial where we need God's help and endurance. If you've ever wondered what God is doing amid a hardship in your life, James tells us he's still producing steadfast faith. He's sanctifying us. And yet you and I know, right, it's also in those seasons where we could easily fall away. You might remember the story of Job, I'm sure you do. The man lost everything he had, right? He lost his children, he lost his possessions, he lost his health, and his wife was sitting there right with him. She lost it all too. And the first advice, the first thing that, that she brings to him is raw. Remember what she said? She says, Job, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Just curse God and die. See, it's in the wilderness where we find ourselves often wrestling, tempted, tested. You think about Jesus, he knew this firsthand, right? He was tested his entire life. First he was tried in the wilderness, then he was tested by the Pharisees, then he was betrayed and rejected by his own, then came the Garden of Gethsemane, and finally the cross. See, Jesus knew firsthand what it is to be led into that kind of a season. He knew what it is to be tested. That's why he gave us this prayer. And these are profound words, right? Because the same one that gave us this prayer, he went to places, he said, you can't even come. We couldn't even fathom. Rich Mullins, uh, who's a famous songwriter years ago, um, he once wrote about his spiritual battle of temptation. He had been uh, struggling with lust as a, a young man on the road, uh, going from gig to gig. And he confesses to his pastor the struggle that he had in his heart. And his pastor told him flat out, he said, your problem is you've forgotten how weak you are. You continue to try to accomplish this on your own. So from that point forward, Mullins never traveled on the road without a, a Christian friend 
And this is how he lived his prayer, right? You might be familiar with one of his songs, his more well-known songs. He, he said one night he couldn't sleep. The, 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 the temptation was overwhelming him. His friend was snoring away. And so he wrote these words. Look at this. I think this is a good poem for any temptation. He said, I wake up in the night and feel the dark. It's so hot inside my soul, I swear there must be blisters on my heart. So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You being my king of glory, won't you be my prince of peace? See, here's my point. The pleasure of food or drink or lust, that might not be your problem. That the temptation of power or prestige, that might not be your thing. The struggle with self-righteousness and pride and arrogance, that might not be what gets you. But the fact is, we all struggle with one of those things. See, and when we pray this prayer, lead us not in temptation, what we're giving God is our absolute weakness and walking the perils of this life on our own. We are asking God first thing in the morning, prepare my heart for the daily battle with sin to come. Deliver me from the evil one. See, because when you walk into a minefield without Christ, it's like walking into a 466 square foot mile zone while telling yourself, I got this. See, so often I think the road to temptation gets a stronghold before you and I even see it. We make excuses and we self-justify and, and confuse ourselves right into the trap. It's just seven miles per hour over the speed limit. That doesn't count. We blow up in our parenting and we tell ourselves, well, that wasn't my fault. They're the ones acting out. We flip on Netflix and we think, no, that's just a movie. We never outright lie, but a little embellishment, that doesn't hurt. It's just a few drinks. And then a few more. See, this is a preparatory prayer. It's a help me navigate the minefield kind of prayer. It's a, it's a protect me from myself kind of prayer. Philip Keller once talked about the, the six steps that we often find ourselves in that, that lead us into sin when we find ourselves in a season of testing. Because what God tests for good, Satan is right there to manipulate into a situation for our ruin. And here's how this often goes down. Tell me if this isn't like your life. It's kind of like fishing. And you know me, I love my fishing analogies. But in this one, you're the fish, okay? Here's how it goes. First step, first thing, is the most deceitful. Satan tells us in very subtle ways that bait is somehow good. You need that bait. I think we maybe have that on the screens. You know, everyone else is eating the bait. It's not all that serious, God's grace is greater after all, so we swim over and we have a look. Second, then Satan begins to convince us we need it. We deserve it. In fact, you'd be better off with it. You can't not have this. Third, we, we begin to toy with the idea in our heads, whatever it is, power, pride, pleasure, the picture becomes compelling. And then finally, fourth, we reach out and we take it. And the minute we grab a hold of it, remember, you're a little fish. What happens? You realize, that's not bait. That's a hook. It's all a ruse. And fifth, we can't believe how we just got played. Sound familiar? See, our enemy, I want you to see this. He is lazy. 
Satan never changed his game. It's always been the same. From the very beginning, you can track the fall with the same tactic. Let me show you this. Look at this in Genesis 3. Look how this plays. Genesis 3, verse 4. What's Satan's first move? He tells Adam and Eve, the forbidden fruit isn't a big deal. He convinces them, it's not serious. You won't die. What's the biggie? Verse five, second, then he tells Adam and Eve, if you take that fruit, you'll get everything you want. You'll be like God himself. What could be more gratifying to that? You know you deserve it. You got the whole garden, but you really need this apple. Third, Genesis 3.6 tells us Eve begins to toy with the idea. She desires it. She contemplates on it. It's a delight to her. Fourth, they take the bait. They reach for it. Adam joins the party. Fifth, it's a lie. They're not godlike. They're exposed. They were never supposed to know all good and evil, particularly the evil. And finally, they go hide in shame. See, it's, it's, it's not this that we need God's provision. It's not just that we, we need God's pardon. We desperately need his protection. Not only from that which tempts us from the outside, but especially that which is corrupt in us from within. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm sure this breaks down somewhere, but I read this week a great picture, a great image of it. It's like the idea of a parent who steers their children down the vegetable aisle on the way to the cash register rather than the candy aisle because they know their kids can't handle the candy aisle. How much easier is it to see our temptations in hindsight? I mean, you always know a landmine after it explodes. See, what we need are those those honeybees. We, we need this God who is all-knowing to watch over us. We, we need this prayer, a plan. And here's what this looks like. I want you to go back to, to me with Jesus in the wilderness, right? He's the one who faced temptation. He's the one that taught us his prayer. And I want you to see how Jesus fought it off. Look at this in Matthew 4.2. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now just imagine starving for a month straight. Satan comes to Jesus and what's the first thing he tempts him with? He tempts him with pleasure. What could be more pleasurable than a, a loaf of bread to a hungry man? He says, Jesus, just go ahead, turn those stones into bread. Have a feast. Watch how Jesus combats the temptation. Look at this. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But we know Satan's persistent. So he keeps trying. Look at this in verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you. See, since pleasure didn't work, Satan now lures Jesus with power. If you can command the angels, you can jump off. Look at how Jesus combats him. Again, it is written, Jesus says in verse seven, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Pleasure didn't work. Power failed. So look at this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of this I will give you if you fall down and worship me. What has been the downfall of thousands upon thousands upon thousands for centuries? It has been the downfall of our pride. Pleasures 
power, pride. So how does Jesus combat it? Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and shall serve him only. And the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. You picking up the theme here? See, first, the spirit leads Christ into the wilderness. That much is true. And then like Christ, right, we, we know this game. We find ourselves in seasons of testing and trials in our faith. I mean, mark my words, we can trust still, even though the, the, the waves are, are hitting us and the storm is dark, God is still doing something good. But there is also an evil one who is there to tempt us into our ruin. See, and the one who defeated and conquered sin to perfection is the one who gave us this prayer. And how do we see him beat it? Over and over and over again, it is the exact same phrase. It is written. Same three words. Different tactic, same three words. It is written. I don't want to sound alarmist, but I kind of do. There's a field ahead, and it's full of landmines. And we know there's no one who is perfect. That's why we ask God for forgiveness because maybe even today we already stepped on one. But then before we take our next step, before we move into that field, we must begin by asking the only one who knows our path and knows the landmines to watch out for us. So I just wanna say to you, if you find yourself wrestling this morning, wrestling with life, with temptation, with struggles, the way through it is not on your own. The way through it is by prayer. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The way through it is not in your own plan. The way through it is by God's plan. It is written. The way through it is in Christian community together in worship with God's word open. We pray together this morning, this week, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because you and I both know we need God's protection, not just his provision, but his protection every day. Let's ask God for that as we step into another week. Will you pray with me? Lord, you know, we know, we, we make our best laid plans, but God, it's you who directs our steps. And God, I just pray for those of us who are in the midst of the trial right now, uh, Lord, in the midst of the storm, whatever it is, from outside or from within, God, that you would protect us. That you would lead us not into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil. Lord, that we would know that even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the, the darkest of times, you have promised us you are still with us. And so, Lord, would you be our light? Would you guide our path? Would you illuminate our feet? God, would you help us by your word to take the next step? God, would you keep us from all evil and sin this week? Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen.